This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Take your Bibles, if you would, this morning, and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, as we continue our study uh, through the book of Hebrews, we're going to take one verse this morning. Uh, I promise we'll speed up next week, but this week, one verse, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Uh, excited about what the Lord has for us today. In my normal Bible reading this week, I, I came to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And I was just reminded, it really encouraged afresh by the end of this sermon, when in Matthew 7, Jesus finishes his sermon by giving an invitation. And even just the fact that he does that reminds us that every word of God demands a response. So when God speaks, we don't just hear, we respond. And as a part of that invitation, he gives what is one of the more sobering warnings in all of Scripture. Jesus says this, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. He's saying, it's one thing for you to hear this, and I'm glad you're hearing this, but the reality is the blessing is on the one who hears and responds. Eternity is for the one who hears and responds. And there will be a lot of people who will Call me Lord, and a lot of people who will have heard this, but they won't enter the kingdom of heaven because they, they didn't respond. And then he gives a little illustration of this. He says that the one who hears the word of mine and obeys it, this is what he said, the one who hears the word of mine and obeys it is like a, a man who builds his house on a rock. And the wind comes and the rain comes and the flood comes, but the house stands. But the one who hears my words and does not obey them is like a man who builds his house on the sand and the wind comes and the flood comes and the rain comes and that house falls. And then he says this, and great is the fall. So he says, the one who builds a life that lasts is the one who hears these words of mine and obeys. And one thing of all many things that come out of that passage, one thing is very clear. The only right response to the word of God is to hear it and obey it. That's the only right response to the word of God. And it is only those who hear and obey who will inherit the kingdom of heaven. To which we want to say, well, does that mean we're saved by works? And the answer is no. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine makes that very clear. For by grace are you saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one can boast. You can't boast in your salvation because you're not saved by your works. You're saved by the work of Jesus Christ. Because God demands righteousness in order to inherit the kingdom of God, but you can't work enough righteousness to have perfect righteousness. So the only way that you can be saved and meet the requirements that God demands is for you to receive a righteousness that is not your own, namely the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
And the message of the gospel is this, is that God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to live the life that you should have lived but didn't. And then God in his grace sent Jesus Christ to the cross where he died for the sins that you've committed. And as you trust in him and his death, what happens is Jesus pays for your sins and you get his righteousness. So God then declares you righteous as a gift of grace by your faith in the work of Jesus Christ. So no, you're not saved by your works. You're saved by the works of Jesus. So then what does Jesus mean when he says you cannot inherit the kingdom of God unless you hear and obey? Well, Jesus is just saying what his brother is going to eventually say in the book of James, and that is this. Faith that doesn't have any works is dead. It's not a real faith. It's not a living faith. It's not a faith that matters. It's not a faith that changes anything. There is a type of faith that hears the word of God, but doesn't respond to the word of God and doesn't bear the fruit of faith. And that kind of faith is not real faith. It's the kind of faith the one has that says, yes, I've heard the word, but there is no response to the word. And the reality is, is that the greatest test of genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is that throughout your life, You're hearing the word of God and responding to the word of God, not because you have to do that to get to heaven, but because your genuine faith causes you to believe that what the Lord says is right and good, and therefore you choose to walk in it. And so what God is teaching us as a family is how to live by faith, which is exactly what it says at the end of chapter 10. The righteous are those who live by faith. And we want to learn how to do that. We don't wanna just have a moment of faith. We want to have a life of faith because that's what marks the people of God. Last week, we looked at two individuals named Abel and Enoch, the first two that are told us about their life of faith. And if you were here last week, you remember they're not here because of their extraordinary acts of faith. They're here because of their ordinary acts of faith. And the reason that they're first is because it's supposed to be really encouraging for us that although God will call many of us to do some great things of faith, the reality is most of us will just simply walk with God day after day after day, and we will have a life of faith. And that's the kind of life that pleases the Lord. That's the kind of life that God is looking for. That's why Hebrews 11.6 tells us that the the faith that God is looking for is one that believes that God exists and that God rewards those who seek him. We said last week, what that means is this. It means that you must live as if God is real and live as if God is good. And that's what Abel and Enoch did. Abel just gave an offering to the Lord. Enoch just for 300 years walked with God. There's a model for us on just the simple walking with Jesus. But if last week was about the walk of faith then this week is about the work of faith. Faith walks with God and also faith works with God. What we have in this text and this little story of Noah is the reminder that faith always works. I don't mean that pragmatically, like you ought to try faith, it works. No, I mean it this, those who have genuine faith experience the work of God in and through their life. So I love the testimony of Noah and what God is showing us in this text. Now, I'm really excited about this message today and and, uh, let me tell you why. 
part of my conviction on preaching is God has not just called me to come up with a message and deliver it to you. There's a part of preaching which I've got to get in the study and I've got to read this word and understand it and dissect it and understand the flow of the text and make sure that's the flow of the sermon. I mean, there's a lot of technical stuff in that regard. But at the end of the day, God's calling on my life is to stand here on Sunday mornings and be the channel through which God says something to you. Which means what I'm asking the Lord for every week is not just a word. I want God to give me a word for you. Specifically, I don't know where you are and I don't know what God's doing in your life, but God does. And so I want to get up here every week and have a sense that God gave me something for you. That's God's calling upon my life. And so what happens throughout the week is I'll study and, and, and try to write a sermon. And then at some point during the week, almost every week, all of a sudden I'll have this moment in which I realize that God has given me something for you. Now that happened on Thursday this week and I was fired up. I wouldn't say that I got up and danced but I skipped around the office a little bit, right? I'm just, I'm glad you didn't see it. But I, I mean, I got it. Like, I just felt like, Lord, this is, this is something here. And I got up and I, I was just walking around and I was so excited. And here's the reason that this message excites me for you and for me today. Because Ephesians 2 goes on to say that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared forehand for us to walk in them which means that in Christ Jesus, God has created you as his workmanship. And he has prepared for you all of these incredible works he wants to accomplish through you. They're not really your works, they're his works, but he's chosen you as the means by which he's gonna accomplish them. And they've been laid out for us. They've been prepared for us and our responsibility is to walk in them. So that means that Doing the work of God is not some burden like, oh, I've got to do the works of God. This is the most exciting news of all, that the God of the universe wants to use you by the means by which he's going to accomplish his work. That God is doing incredible things right in you and around you and all throughout the world. And the means by which he's going to do all of it is his people. And what, what excites me is I don't want you to miss any of them. I want you to fulfill every single work that God has prepared beforehand for you. And I, I want to get in on every work that God has for me. And I don't want our church to miss it. Like, I think God has good stuff for us. And I don't want to miss it. I want to walk in every one of those works. And I get excited about the thought of you engaging in this life of faith with Jesus and seeing God do things in your life that you absolutely can never comprehend if he were to tell you right now. His work through you. And I want God to give you a vision for that of all the things that he wants to do through you. And I believe that that's what's happening in this text. God is giving us this new vision of the kind of work that he wants to do and giving us an idea of just how we do that. So if you're there in Hebrews 11, say amen. Listen to verse seven, it says this. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, I really believe that in that phrase and in the story of Noah, God shows us the way in which we can accomplish his works. 
the things that he's laid out beforehand for you. The first thing we learn from this is simply this. Every work of faith is revealed to those who walk by faith. Get that down. Every work of faith is revealed to those who walk by faith. So the means by which we get in on God's work is by walking with him. Now it says that by faith, Noah was warned by God concerning events as yet unseen and to which we say, well, why Noah? Like, why is it that God chose Noah to be the person that received this word? Well, the answer is in the story, which we find in, in Genesis 6. It tells us in Genesis 6 that the Lord saw the wickedness of man and it saw that it was great in the earth. Now listen to this phrase. The Lord saw that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. He's talking about all of humanity. Every thought, every intention of his heart was only evil continually. And listen to this. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. Now, let me just say something about that word regretted. That word is only used to refer to an emotional response, meaning it's, it's not a mental thought where the Lord goes, I think I made a mistake. I shouldn't have started this in the first place. What he's saying is this, the Lord looked out at humanity and his heart was broken. It means that he was deeply grieved in his heart. And there's some irony here that all of the people of the world are not thinking about the Lord. They don't have any heart for God. They don't have any affection for him. But yet when he looks at them, his heart is broken. When he looks at them, he grieves at their lack of response to him. He grieves at the way in which they've continued to reject his invitations to find life in him. God looks at humanity and his heart is broken and grieved over the state of their rebellion and how far they've gone in sin. That's what it means. And so it says this. So the Lord said, I'm going to blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land and man and animals and creeping things and the birds of the heaven. For I'm sorry, I'm grieved that I've made man. And it says this in verse 8 of Genesis 6. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Then it says this. It says, now Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Now that means he was right before God and right before others. It's not that he had never done anything wrong, but to be blameless means that when you do something wrong, you make right your wrongs. And those around you really can't make accusation against you. So in the midst of this wicked and perverse generation, somehow Noah came out blameless, right with God, right with man. And then it says this, Noah walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then it says this in verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted the way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them. I will destroy them and the earth. And then he began to give him instructions on how to make the ark. Now, it really is interesting that it says here that Noah was a man who walked with God. And you see, the fact is, is that Noah was 500 years old when God told him to build the ark. 500 years old. Which means we, we look at this one big thing Noah did and we think, man, I want to do something big like that for God. What we fail to recognize is that for 500 years before the work of God, Noah was just walking with God. 
Noah was walking with God. It's important that Genesis 6 tells us that because Noah was a man who took his walk with God seriously. And the reason we find Noah in this moment being used by God to such a degree is because for 500 years, Noah just got up in the morning and walked with God. He got up in the morning and he spent time with the Lord. He heard the Lord. He walked in obedience to the Lord. Noah walked with God. And this is a really important reminder for us because it reminds us that God does not give us the next thing until we do the now thing. God doesn't give us the next thing until we do the now thing. Like we're a next thing people, right? My brothers used to say about me that I was only happy at the next place. Like everywhere I was, I thought, well, I could be there and I could be doing that. And so God's worked on that in me in a little bit. But the reality is there's something in us that wants the next thing. And God says, okay, we'll get to the next thing, but how about let's do the now thing? And the reason I've been challenging you every week from Matthew 6 on that introduction to faith, which is prayer and giving and fasting, is because I believe what God is doing in some of your life is he's preparing you for something, but what he's saying is this, listen, if you wanna do that next thing, let's do the things you already know you're supposed to do. Let's walk by faith now. Let's make the right decisions now. Walk with me now. And the truth is, is that if we wanna see God do the big things, we have to be willing to let God do the small things. So we do the small things, we do the simple things, we do the right things, and behind the scenes when no one else is looking, what God is doing is God is building men and women of faith, and he does it as we walk with him day by day in very non-dramatic ways. There's this little principle the Lord gave me a few years ago that really uh, transformed the way I think about my walk with God. And I, I gave it at the men's breakfast uh, last month. I gave it at a football banquet last month. I've been thinking about it a lot, but it's simply this. In the Christian life, direction matters more than distance. Direction matters more than distance. We think distance. God, I wanna be here. I wanna do this. I wanna be this kind of man, this kind of woman. I wanna accomplish this. I wanna do great things. And God says, great, but hold on a minute. We got to get you going in the right direction. And what the Lord always says to me is this. If you'll get headed in the right direction, I'll take care of the distance. So if all I'm thinking about is distance, I want our church to be here and do this and all of that, right? Then what's going to happen is I'm going to miss all of that. But if I'll just think about direction, get up in the morning and walk with Jesus, get my eyes on Jesus and head in the right direction, the Lord will ensure I get to where I need to be and accomplish what he wants me to accomplish. What matters is us going in the right direction. And what we learned from Noah is behind this great work of faith was a very simple walk of faith. And every work of faith comes to those who are already walking by faith. So if you want that next thing, if you want to experience the work God has for you, start with a simple daily walk of faith. But the next thing is this. Not only does every work of faith come to those who are walking by faith, but every work of faith demands more faith. Every work of faith demands more faith. This is just the way the Lord works. And so Noah was a man of faith. We know that he had built his faith for 500 years. And so I would imagine after 500 years of seeing God work and seeing God reward, uh, Noah was really a man of faith. But I cannot believe he had enough faith for this one 
the first time he heard it. This was an unbelievable thing that God had asked him to do. And it, and it says this, Noah was warned by God concerning events yet unseen. What does that mean? Well, it means that God came to Noah and told him that it was gonna rain and it had never rained before. And so Noah had to believe by faith that the skies were gonna open up and water was gonna come out enough to flood the entire earth. And Noah had to believe that the only way for him to be saved was to begin building an ark about 500 feet long. So take a football field and another half of a football field. That's the length of the ark. About four stories high, about 75 feet wide. Do you know there was enough cargo space within the ark to be equivalent of 450 semi-truck trailers? That's how much space was in the ark. And he had to just believe this. And the only thing he had to go on, the only thing he had was nothing he had seen. Never seen rain, never thought about an ark, lived hundreds of miles from the coast, landlocked. The only thing he had was a word of God. That's it. And you know what happened? Is the reason he could believe that word is because he believed a lot of other words along the way. This is just this is how God works. He, he says, do you believe me when it comes to giving, fasting, and praying? Do you believe me when I call? We'll do that. And the more you do that, the more God builds your faith. And then you feel like, well, I think I've got the faith to do the next big thing. And then God gives you the next thing. And all of a sudden, your first thought is, I don't have the faith for this. <laughs> like, I can't pull this off. And there's, there's so many lessons about this that we see uh, from Noah's life. So many reminders that we have that every time God calls us into a certain work, there's gonna be a thousand reasons why we don't think we've got the faith for it. Because what God is doing is he's leading us into a situation that demands more faith than we've ever had because God not only wants to grow your faith, he wants to continue to manifest through you that it's really not your work, it's his work, and it's greater than anything you could have ever done. Let me tell you a couple of ways that the Lord does this and he did it for Noah. You know, every work of faith is a work that you're gonna feel inadequate for. There's no reason to believe that Noah had any sense of adequacy for this. We know from later in the story, he was a farmer and may have been, according to Second Peter, a preacher, definitely didn't know how to build anything. So you've got all of this going on. He's hundreds of miles from the coast. There, there's no one's building boats. It had never rained before. And I'm reminded that this is just the way God works. I mean, think about this. When God wanted to save a generation of his people from the strongest nation on the face of the earth, the Egyptians, he chose a man as his spokesman who had a speech impediment. That's Moses. Seriously. Moses, I, I, out of everybody, I'm choosing you, to which Moses says, I can't even talk. And God says, I know, that's why I picked you. I mean, Paul looked at all the things God had called him to do, and he said this, who is adequate for these things? Paul did not feel adequate. There has never been a person that has stepped into a work of faith that felt this way. You know what? I think I can nail this. I got it. God doesn't work that way. As a matter of fact, if that's how you feel, it's probably not the work of faith. It's probably a work of the flesh. Because the work of the faith is always calling you into something that you don't feel adequate for. You know, the other reality is that Every work of faith God gives 
is going to demand a lot of patient endurance. Do you know Noah built the ark for 120 years? Think about that. 120 years, he got up in the morning, got his hammer, saw, whatever else, and he just built 120 years. And you know what else? In every single work of faith, almost everyone that watches you doing it thinks you're an idiot. No one trusted the Lord. No one believed the word of God. I mean, this is the most ridiculous thing to think that rain would fall from the sky and this boat would somehow just be elevated into the water. Most ridiculous thing. So for 120 years, Noah kept saying, here's what I'm doing. And everybody kept saying the same thing. Noah, you're an idiot. And so what I wanna say to you is this is the normal way of God. The normal way of God is God calls you to do something. Your first thought is, I don't have what it takes to do it. And then as you begin to do it, you realize that it takes much longer than you ever thought. And it's lonely in the process. And then the whole way, you have all kinds of people who are saying to you, are you sure? This looks like a really dumb idea. This sounds like a really dumb thing to do. And what I wanna say to you is every single one of those thoughts are the normal thoughts that we think every time God calls us into a new work of faith. It's how God's designed it so our dependency would not be on ourselves, but on him. And you cannot let the enemy pounce upon those thoughts and defeat you by your sense of inadequacies or by the length of time it takes God to fulfill his purpose. Because if you listen to the voice of the enemy instead of the voice of God, then you will never fulfill the work that God has for you. So I just want you to know the normal way this happens is that God gives you a work and it demands more faith than you've ever had before because God is calling you into something bigger than yourself. And that is an incredibly exciting thought. But the final thought is this. So every work of faith is given to those who walk by faith. Every work of faith demands more faith. But the next one is this. Every work of faith is not just about your faith. Every work of faith is not just about your faith. Now, the end of the verse tells us something incredible about uh, Noah. It says, by this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Before that, it tells us that God concerning events as yet unseen and reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. That idea of reverent fear is so important. It, it doesn't mean that Noah was afraid of the flood or was afraid of God. What it means is this, is through years of walking with God, he had learned to honor the Lord and he loved the Lord. And when God spoke, he listened. And when God spoke, he believed. He was someone who built his house upon the rock because he heard the word of God and he believed it. And so God had prepared his heart for the work of faith by a lot of walking with God. And then as a result of that, by that faith, he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, theologically, that's an important statement there because it takes this New Testament language in which we receive righteousness by faith and it applies it to Noah, basically saying that the way in which Noah got saved is the same way we get saved. We trust the word of God and God gives us his righteousness by faith. He's an heir of righteousness. He didn't earn it. He received it by faith. And great benefit for Noah, not only just a life of faith, but he received the righteousness of God. He was declared righteous, eternity in heaven, right with God, a great benefit for him. 
and our work of faith benefits us. It's, it's a great way to live. It's an exciting way to live. But every time God calls you into a work of faith, you have to realize this is not just about you. Look what it says. It says, first of all, in reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. One of the things God wanted to do through Noah's faith is save Noah's sons and wife and three daughter-in-laws. And I, I got to this phrase and I just felt like it deserved another sermon. It's not gonna get one, but it deserves one. Maybe I'll save it for a men's breakfast because there's something significant here. I think about as I've got five kids, I think about the, the culture in which my kids are being raised in and the pressures of the culture and all the temptations around them and all that's available to their eyes and to their ears. And then that feels overwhelming to me. And then I think about Noah's three sons who didn't just go to school with only like three people who love Jesus. There was no one else on the face of the earth that loved the Lord. And every intention and thought of their heart was only evil continually. Imagine the pressure Noah felt raising his children in that type of generation. There was no positive pressure. And, and what Noah was trying to do is somehow in the midst of all of the pressure, drawing them away from the Lord to get them to make a decision to follow the Lord. Let me tell you something. There's no guarantee that any of our children are gonna just love Jesus. We just don't have that guarantee. They're individual people. We have to make an individual decision. But let me tell you something. The best chance we have of raising children who love the Lord is by allowing them to see in the home an authentic relationship with Jesus. That's what Noah's kids got. They got the grace of God and being able to watch their dad get up for 120 years and build an ark because God said he was supposed to. And what the next generation does not need is a Sunday faith. They need a Monday morning faith and a Monday night faith and a Tuesday and a Wednesday. They need to see you living an authentic life of faith. And somehow by the grace of God, they will come to see from you, mom and dad. They will come to see that God is real and he is good. And I want to follow him because I've seen his activity in the life of my family. Let me tell you, young people, God may somehow graciously someday give you a spouse and children. The greatest gift that you can give them is an authentic relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Start now, don't start later. Noah somehow was used by God to save his household. That's so good. But it wasn't just about his household. It was about the world around him. It says when he built, he condemned the world. 2 Peter 2.5 says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. We don't know if that means by trade that Noah was a preacher before. Boy, wouldn't that be incredible if 500 years before the ark, Noah was a preacher and the only people that ever got saved is his three sons and their wives. But what we do know at the very least is that while Moses built, he was preaching. Every single morning he got up and took another board and put that board with the rest of the boards. You know what he was doing? He was saying, there's an invitation for you to come and to be saved. There's a flood that's coming. Destruction is coming. But if you'll trust the Lord, you can get on the ark as well. And for 120 years, he preached and preached and preached and no one else responded but his family, but he preached. Because God was using his work of faith as a sermon to the rest of the world to know that this is not ultimately about Noah and the ark. This is about God and his desire for all people to be saved. You see, that, that's really the story here. 
The story here, and we have to be careful when we tell this story because we tend to get into the, the, all the animals and the archiarchy and all that, you know, all that. And if we're not careful, we're gonna make this story cute and trite. And of our precious moments, little statues, that's great. But we're gonna miss that the bigger picture here is this is not about Noah and the ark. This is about the mission of God. Because Jesus says himself that in the end times, it's gonna be exactly like in the days of Noah where people are not responding to the Lord. And the only way that they're gonna be saved is by getting in the ark. And the ark is Jesus Christ. There's only one way to be saved in Noah's day. There's only one way to be saved in this day. And that's you get on the safe ark of Jesus Christ. And so in the midst of all of the work that God might have you to do, let me tell you this, the most important work that God has for you is the work of mission, is the work of leading other people to trust and follow Jesus Christ. And so what God does is through your walk with him, he continues to build this heart that honors the Lord and is ready for the word of God. And through your little acts of faith, he builds your faith and then gives you something bigger and you walk in that and then gives you something even bigger. And what you realize at the end is God has used you and your life and all of these little works, not just for you, but for your kids and your neighbors and your family. And you wake up one day and realize, all I did is walk with God and tell me what to do next. I did it and look what God's done. And you know what? You don't get any of the credit or any of the glory because really it was all the Lord. I want that life for you. I want that life for me. I want you to have a vision of your life that is so much greater than anything you could ever get in the flesh. God wants to do more through you than you could ever comprehend. He has works of faith for you, for you to walk in. As I was praying over this message, I was reminded, and I'll close with this, Little verse from Second Thessalonians. Paul loved this church and he was so proud of this church in Thessalonica. I'm saying this in sincerity. It's the way I feel about you. I love you and I'm so proud of you. I'm so thankful for how well you're doing and how you're wanting to walk with the Lord and your responsiveness. We're just so proud of you. And this is what he says to them, Second Thessalonians chapter one. He says to this, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling, listen, and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. That's what I'm praying. That God would fulfill every work of faith he has for you. He'll do it for you and you and you and you and you and all of us and all of a sudden we'll realize that as a family, we have done some incredible things for God. Why? Because just a bunch of people walked with Jesus and did the next thing. Boy, wouldn't that be great for that to be our testimony? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.